are now on the Rocket Talk radio show with Dave Nordling, engineer, and Richard Garcia, engineer. Uh, yeah, please, gentlemen, uh, tell them about yourself, Dave. What do yeah. you do as I'm, an engineer? Uh, <laughs> I'm an aerospace engineer. I've been in the business for 20 years. I work for Aerospace Corporation in the program office, uh, supporting the EELV program. That's what I do professionally. Um, I've been a member of the RRS, the Reaction Research Society, yep. for about Me three too. years. Uh, yeah. Alex, yeah, actually, all three of us are, are members. Richard's on camera. If uh, he's on the iPad, you guys can't see him. Right. Uh, yeah, my, my specialty is propulsion systems, uh, nice. propulsion analysis. I've also had a lot of experience in uh, hard rocket hardware development. And that's what I do. That's what I love. Nice, nice. Rich, tell them about yourself. Uh, well, uh, another space engineer. Uh, I've had the opportunity to work uh, professionally uh, with rockets. Uh, I worked at uh, Firefly and recently uh, at uh, Mass and Space Systems. You know, worked on 25,000-pound lots of methane, 3D printed engines, this kind of stuff. Um, right now, I'm working uh, in Minnesota. That's why I'm not down there with you guys. Some hypersonic wind tunnels, which is surprisingly similar. Cool, awesome. And uh, some of you may know me. I'm Alistair, Alistair, or AK Martin. You might know me as AK Martin, content producer. I'm not an engineer, but yeah, so today we have a really interesting and fun show set up. We have Waldo, is going to be our call in guest. And Waldo is somewhat of a maverick. Uh, he is also, a, you know, a rocket engineer, uh, but in, although he does rockets, um, he's more into cars. And we'll learn a little bit more about some of the stunts and stuff that he's uh, facilitated and uh, maybe some of the hardware he's messed around with. Today, just to give you a, a lineup of what we're doing, first reflect and just uh, talk a little bit about some of the things that happened. We got SpaceX doing stuff. We got Virgin Galactic. We got Blue Origin. Uh, we've got NASA, we've got ULA, we've got a lot of people, Roscosmos, uh, doing a lot of things that seems to have been a really successful year in the space industry for 2018. Uh, then we're going to get in touch with Waldo. Uh, I have some things that I like to talk about in terms of uh, space tourism. And at the end, you know, we'll make some announcements. So for right now, let's, uh, let's take it to Dave. Dave. We're gonna right now just cover some stuff that happened in 2019. So, um, I think you mean 2018. I'm sorry, 2018. Right. <laughs> Again, Dave. Yeah. So tell us what what went on in 2018. Let's talk oh. about um, you know, who flew in 2018. Oh wow. Well, if you look at SpaceX, they uh, who had all the fun. They, they, they had a bit. They had a big year. Um, yeah. Not their not a record year, but you know, they really captured a large part of the commercial market, mm -hmm. if not in almost the entirety of it. They've launched over a dozen times successfully. Wow. Um, there really haven't been a lot of failures. The only one really in the world that stands out would be the Soyuz. You know, the Soyuz mm. had a problem, but that they was a jet, right? They, yeah, they, they did. The abort system worked. I mean, okay, I think that's, that's the good. key part is that, yes, it was a failure. They had a bent pin, but, and it was pretty exciting, but the, the escape system that had never really been tested in flight got a, got an opportunity wow. to prove itself. Mm -hmm. the, the the escape tower had been used uh, I, maybe in a different mode of flight, but like uh, there's there's different ways that their escape systems at different phases in the flight, mm. and now it's been tested in all the different configurations. Right, right. Okay. So what they're back on? Uh, did they launch after that? 
think they have. They have, right? I think they have. Okay, yeah. and that was the Soyuz that that that, that, right. that jumped off. Right. Okay, cool. Right. Cool. Anything else uh, with the Roscosmos or the Soyuz or any one of those guys? Anything uh, uh, during, spectacular last year? Uh, during um, 2018, well, they also had that hole uh, in the Soyuz capsule oh, really? um, on right. the International Space Station. They mm-hmm. did, you know, a spacewalk okay. um, to try to figure that out. It looks like. Um, it looks like uh, some technician probably accidentally drilled a hole and tried to patch it and say, who knows? <laughs> yeah. And, and there's, there's also interesting uh, work going on with them and launch vehicles. They've got a vehicle they're sort of proposing, and some details have been coming out about, out about that. Uh, they're calling it the Soyuz 5, which I think is a bad name for it. Mm. But, yeah, that's right. Uh, that. Because the conflict with Ukraine they want to build their own version of the Zenit because Ukraine builds the, the vehicle, Russia mm-hmm. builds the engines. Right. And they're talking about doing a five-core version of that to get around like 70 tons to orbit. So that's interesting. But mm-hmm. Very. Know, uh, the last time they developed a launch vehicle took them 20 years because they were perpetually broke. So I wouldn't right. hold your breath, but right. details <laughs> are trickling out. It, it might happen. Well, that, well, that's part of their... That's part of the push to go back to the moon. I mean, 70 tons to... To low Earth orbit, I assume that's what it is. You know, that's kind of the benchmark for being able to have enough payload to be able to make it to the moon. I, I know that you know the U.S. has had the SL, you know, the space launch system going for many years, from mm-hmm. reincarnated from the Constellation program, mm-hmm. uh, going back almost right. ten years. And the the China, you know, the Chinese have made a moon landing. You know that it, it makes a lot of sense for the Russians to to follow suit. You know, it seems like unfinished business, and yeah. It nice, just nice. seems like unfinished business is good. That, I, but you're right, Richard. It's not necessarily right. a given that they'll succeed. You know, a lot of a lot of plans get spoken of, but not necessarily executed. And money's yes. been a problem. I couldn't right. agree more. You know, Russia's had Russia sells engines to the U.S. even for uh, national security uh, payloads, mm. and right. that's a right. function of them them needing the money more than their concern about you know the politics. Right. If you had to ask me, though, I would say. Uh, they should just design a lunar system around 25 tons, which is what their uh, Angara and Proton can do, and just do it in four launches instead of one for the moon. So hmm. uh, I'm yeah. a big fan of distributed lift. Well, we'll, we'll send them that memo. Well, we have to All see. Right. We have to see what the economics <laughs> work out to be. I I kind of tend to embrace the opposite philosophy that you know the launcher and the and the support tends to be a big cost and. Right. I tend to I tend to favor the larger vehicles just because it, it just depends on what the how the economics work out. You know, on orbit uh, assembly used to be a big challenge. I think it's viewed as less of a challenge, but nonetheless uh, a factor that has to be considered. Uh, the Russians have mastered it, so if the, so is the U.S. So it's mm-hmm. well within their capability to do multiple launches. Cool, cool. So let's talk about what's happening uh, here on, on, on American soil. What what has NASA done? NASA NASA has had a big year this year. Uh, I mean, of course, the most prominent was the Insight. Yeah, the Insight uh, that they so, launched yeah. in uh, in May, I believe. I, was it May? Yeah, I, I think so. It was seven, yeah, May, and then they dropped in. Yeah, that's right. They dropped in seven months later, uh-huh. which is typical. You know, every time the alignment comes around every twenty six months, there's mm-hmm. uh, JPL's uh, light clockwork has had a payload ready to go, mm-hmm. and uh, this time it was lifted by the Atlas. Uh, I think that's been NASA's go to since. Uh, the Delta Twos have gone away. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a matter of fact, that was news for 2018. And was the last ULS. 
Uh, they, yeah, that is ULA. Yeah, uh, ULA right. is the merger. United Launch Alliance mm-hmm. is the merger of Boeing and Lockheed Space Assets. Boeing brings the Delta, and at, and of course Lockheed Martin brings the Atlas. Oh, cool! And oh. they're all under one house uh, in Denver. Uh, interesting thing about the Insight mission, I, uh, that's the one they uh, had two CubeSats on. So those are the first interplanetary CubeSats. That's right, and that that is now orbiting Mars. Those two CubeSats. I don't know what the fate of those were. I don't know if they entered orbit or not, but or they might have just skipped on, um, probably re-entered if they depend because they they peeled off as soon as they got spacecraft separation. Yeah, I, I haven't followed up on that, unfortunately. From from my understanding, that was for relay signal. Yes, right? uh, its so, primary purpose was to serve as a relay, relay. plus uh, yeah. as a camera view of mm-hmm. something that uh, you know of, a, of an area that they couldn't normally get a picture of because mm-hmm. okay. normally there's not a camera there. Mm-hmm. So I I think they just really weren't concerned about when I say they. I don't think NASA was yeah. concerned about what they would accomplish. Mm-hmm. They just wanted to try so having. Tried to see how much they could accomplish right, right. with a pair of CubeSats right. at that phase of the mission. Now, um, those so when when you said skipped off, um, so it the intent wasn't to keep it within the Mars. System. I don't think they really had any plans for those CubeSats after they achieved the first goal. Okay, right. cool. Right. All right. Um, so who else has had a you know government wise? Uh, you know, we talked about the Russians. We talked about. Uh, is that all NASA did this year? I mean, uh, last year? It feels like they did something else. Or uh, maybe that they, was the they launched their test. Uh, yeah, that's right. The telescope. To replace the Kepler. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Nah, that's going to be something else. Mm-hmm. That's a planet hunter, isn't it? Yeah, Kepler was a planet yeah, hunter. Kepler was a planet hunter. So right. so Ex- extra solar. Extra okay. solar planets. Yeah. Okay, and yeah. Uh, what what's Tess, uh, what's her setup? I'm not that familiar with TESS. I okay. mean, I, I, I know that NASA had the Parker Solar Probe mission mm-hmm. in, in the, over the summer, which was successful, launched on a Delta IV Heavy. Okay. Um, quite a bit of Delta V required to actually achieve that mission to get low, get a very low perigee to examine the sun. But mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. by all accounts, the, the mission was quite a success, and the Parker Solar Probe is healthy and on its way. As a matter of fact, uh, Parker himself, the, the scientist the, that the probe was named for, was on hand for the launch. Right, right. Which is, okay. which is not always the case. You know, right, this is, right. these things uh, <laughs> take decades to realize. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Yeah, with TESS, I think it's using a slightly different method uh, to look at exoplanets mm-hmm. um, than Kepler was using. Uh, and I, I think it's supposed to be able to find Earth sized planets in habitable zones. So that's okay, cool. really exciting. Right, and that's a bit okay. of a challenge because in the past, uh, the previous methods were only able to pick up things the size of gas giants, and, right. and they found quite a few. I think that's probably the best thing that's been discovered since the first extrasolar planet was discovered in '95 was that planets are actually quite common yeah. around, around many stars, even stars that uh, were thought not to be hospitable. So it, that's a very, it's a very good thing for us because that, that was, as I, when I was a kid in the 70s, that you know, we that was only speculated that mm-hmm. there were planets around other suns, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and now we know for sure that there are such things. And I think we learned a little bit more about how, uh, you know, unique our sun is, or uh, because I believe uh, what red dwarfs, 
are more common than than our stuff. The red dwarfs. Yeah. 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 yeah there's red quite a few in our neighborhood. Yeah. Our okay. local neighborhood. And they yeah. seem to have uh, the, you know, a population of planets. And they do. Yeah. Around it. A lot yeah, of they do. That's, mm-hmm. that's right. And and our star is a main sequence star. Uh, I remember uh, when I was a kid, they were saying like our star is a you know one of the most common classes. But then as our you know observation powers increased, we can see a lot more of these red dwarfs, and it's like oh, actually we're not as common as we thought where we right. got, uh, you know, I think that was medium a medium-sized star, I guess. Right, right. Yeah. I think that was a function of the infrared telescopes. I think the red, I think the red dwarfs weren't yeah. quite as visible until we got the an infrared telescope on orbit. Mm-hmm. I, I can't think of the name of, but I, I know that contributed to our body of knowledge. Yeah, but you know the. The big push, I, I think the moon's going to become more important now that the Chinese have let, put a lander down, and they're going, uh, and that happened uh, actually just a few days ago, if not in 2018 to 2019, um, and landing on the far side of the moon at that, mm-hmm. something that really wasn't outside of the U.S. or Russia's capability, just hadn't been done. Um, I think it'll light, it should light a fire under the rest of the world to, uh, to go back to the moon, at least that's, that's my prediction. China wants to. I, I in the re, in the reading I did, it sounds like they want a sample return mission. They they they've made it clear that they can land. So and they've got a relay satellite to the far side. They would, if I was in their shoes, I would I would attempt a land. I would attempt a sample retrieval mission next. Well, uh, since the moon is uh, ours, uh, if they do a sample return, they'll have to pay us for it. Uh, <laughs> I don't I don't think that's right, Rich. We got there first. We we own it. We, <laughs> <laughs> right. The Outer That's Space funny. Treaty of '67, unfortunately, or '67 or '68, unfortunately, forbids that. Ah, but bummer. yeah, well, the, uh, the law of finders keepers. Uh, yeah. Not of time. Otherwise. True, but the U.S. doesn't have anybody <laughs> there. They, right, you know, the Chinese right. could pick up all our flags and bring them home for us if because uh, oh, they're not yeah. there to stop yeah. them. Well, someone needs to go out there and just stand next to the flag, right? Okay, yeah. so. Okay, so we've got uh, we've got that. Oh, Virgin, Virgin finally had a successful flight last year. After that, uh, they had they had happened. a success they had a successful drop test, and then, yeah, mm-hmm. they were they were working reworking the spaceship mm-hmm. too. Um, yeah, they did. They right. they took a took a test flight up to fifth, above the fifty mile mark, mm-hmm. which by one standard by one government standard that makes them uh, gives them their astronaut wings. Um, I've been following Virgin for quite a while since mm-hmm. the beginning. I was actually out there in '04 when they uh, when they when they won the uh, uh, the X Prize, mm-hmm. and so it's it's really you know it's really a testament to Richard Branson's tenacity mm-hmm. that he's still at it. Though most yeah. uh, most companies would have folded after a decade of not really accomplishing anything. And, well, well I don't want to say anything, money. but I mean, you know, we all thought back in 04 uh, that you know, tourism was around the corner. And, mm, well, this right, is a really right. long corner. It's been right. a 15-year corner. Yeah. yeah. But, talk a yeah, they've, bit about they've run into some issues, you know, along the way. I know a big part of it was uh, the the rocket part, the spaceship part, was getting heavier than they expected. And then the aircraft part lifted less than they expected so those two things don't work well together right. i'm really curious if they do um these commercial flights how many passengers they're going to actually be able to take because i think they started with eight and uh, uh i um i 
haven't checked recently, but I, I heard they had thought about reducing the number of passengers to like six and then maybe even four. Mm. Um, but uh, well, I understand that. Don't quote me on those numbers. <laughs> right, right. No, they're, they're, you, Rich. Well, there's <laughs> there's definitely a, been a reduction in their stated capacity. I I, I remember that they were uh, Virgin was looking at upgrading their hybrid motor, the original motor that they that they flew on, that they demonstrated, was thought to not quite have enough Delta V, so there was supposed to be an improvement. I don't know where they were at with it. I just assumed that they, you know, obviously I think Virgin's really on the right track, that they really need to start operations. They need to start taking passengers, even if that means only reaching 50 miles. It's a it's a human cannonball mm -hmm. flight. Mm -hmm. There is a market for it. I mean, it, it's after people are willing to wait 15 years to do it, so mm -hmm. it shows that the market's still there. There's nobody else yeah. right now. I say right now because Blue is looking at that very same market. Mm -hmm. Right mm -hmm. now, there's no but there's no other way to get there. So they've they've got a market waiting for them. And I think it's great that they've just decided, you know what, we're just going to accomplish what we're going to accomplish mm -hmm. and, and start making positive cash flow. Nice. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised that Blue Origin uh, beats them to it, honestly, as far as the first actual commercial paying customer flights. Um, That's possible. This recent flight, uh, it, it looks like maybe Virgin Galactic is going to be able to do it first. Mm. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and that, yeah, that's absolutely right. But Blue has made some big strides. Um, you know, I've always admired Blue in the yeah, way that know. they... They don't really go for the showmanship. They they don't announce anything until after they've accomplished it, and I think that shows that they're really they're really willing to play the long game to to really be the ones that come out right. on top in the end. Well, mm -hmm. you can do that when you're not trying to get investors. Um, it's a big advantage. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I mean, huge, huge loaded. Huge advantage. Yeah. I know Amazon gets a ton of my <laughs> money every year at Christmas time. Right, so. right. I think, right. I think you paid for their, uh, their next test. And happily so. You know, I, I rather enjoyed the Lego uh, Saturn V rocket I bought for my, uh, <laughs> oh, I, Actually, I bought it for my nephew, but oh, cool. uh, doesn't mean that I can't enjoy one, too. There you go. Hey, bring it over sometime. I right? will. You know, next I will. Show, bring that next show, I will bring it. That's It's it's a wonderful thing. Lego. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. yeah. I, you actually got Lego this year, too, actually. You did? Yeah, I got light up Lego. Oh, nice. Uh, it's so fun, man. Yeah, and I got a, a Falcon Cruiser. Oh, uh, it's a spaceship. It's not SpaceX. It's just a spaceship. They call it the Falcon. Oh, it's, okay. it's sort of like a. Anyway, yes. Let's get back to uh. <laughs> so, okay, so we've got SpaceX. We've got Virgin. Uh, we've got Blue. What's Blue doing? I mean, what did they do last year? I don't recall. The biggest accomplishment, I think, was ULA decided. ULA ended the competition between Rocketdyne's A1 mm -hmm. and Blue Origin's BE4. Mm -hmm. Um. Are they work? Obviously, they're working together. Is uh, Rocketdyne well, building their engines? No, I think Rocketdyne decided that they 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 had accomplished. They made a few key accomplishments, and then they decided that they didn't have the money to finish it. I I don't mm -hmm. know. I don't think that was. Uh, I don't think it was ever really clear. They just decided that they were going to accomplish a few tests and finish up the contract. Well, it, it, it's my understanding that the two different rockets had different propellant types. The two different oh, engines did. had different propellant. That's right. And yeah. so, uh, but that's like a vehicle level design decision. So it seems weird to me that, that they were talking about the vehicle being a methane vehicle and considering uh, a kerosene rocket engine. That doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. Well, it, it does in the sense that the Atlas Fox really competition at all. Well, I, I think it reflects that, that Rocketdyne and Blue 
and ULA all had different ideas about what the successor to the Atlas would be. Um, if it was just a simple plug and play, I think the AR1 must have been intended for that, that ULA would not have to change their vehicle design. They could keep the same Atlas style and just simply plug in a kerosene locks rich combustion cycle engine. And then I guess Blue, dis Blue decided from a clean sheet of paper they would go after methane. I know methane has gotten to be popular. I think SpaceX was first with the Raptor engine. And met methane, methane and LOX was the product of... I, I mean, methane was always a propellant, but it didn't become popular until I think uh, the case for Mars came out when Zubrin put out mm -hmm. his book uh, about in-situ right. propellant generation with Mars. Methane was always a, a candidate for... Methane was always a candidate as a fuel, but uh, just it, to build an engine around yeah. a new fuel is quite well, a bit of work. And now that I, there's a lot of interest, and so now you're see, now we're seeing that. Yeah. And with the, the BD4. The technical, uh, the technical side of the methane question, uh, it doesn't get, for the same chamber pressure, it doesn't get much higher ISP, uh, but it's a lower density. So if you sort of just swapped out just methane, your launch vehicles typically are going to perform worse because they going to have more more drag on it but mm -hmm. then it becomes more attractive if you start increasing the chamber pressure or you want to get into reusability because you want it with less uh sooty. so if you have a fuel rich uh stakes combustion where you get really high performance you can do that with less sooting it's easier to reuse that engine uh, and then there's like you said mars uh the sort of uh mars in situ resource utilization with zoom mm -hmm. the plan is you're going to make it at mars so it it if you look at the technical details, it, it, it does make sense that methane was maybe a candidate early on, but got passed up for kerosene. And now we're seeing the, the other periphery uh, design influences, you know, uh, make methane look more attractive. And then with reusability, uh, it's a cheaper fuel, it's readily available in liquid natural gas form. Uh, so, so it makes sense that we're seeing a shift towards methane. Mm -hmm. Cool. One of the things that I always puzzled by is, uh, is how the public seems to embrace this notion that SpaceX is the first time that the commercial industry's gotten involved, but yet, you know, Boeing, Lockheed, Northrop, all of these companies are commercial companies, very successful, very large, and very profitable companies, and they're all publicly traded, so if one wanted to invest, I think, you know, that would be the first place I'd look, but... You know, the, you have to understand the Boeings, the Lockheeds, and the Northrops, I don't think space really is their big moneymaker. If you look at, just in the, just reading the news streams, every time they announce a new contract, it's not space. They, they make that announcement because, uh, you know, air, military aircraft sells very well. Uh, right. there, there's, there's a lot of different, there's a lot of different aircraft and military systems that make them money. And, right. though, and that's what makes the news, when that, that's what makes the press releases from these companies. Mm. We should probably Waldo, call yeah. Waldo now. Yeah, let's huh? bring him on. Okay, cool. Let me uh, let's talk to Waldo. So Waldo has also been on Nat Geo, National uh, Geographic. National Geographic, right? Yes. Uh, we should give his full name, Waldo E. Stakes. Uh, he's also the curator for the Colonel Vernon P. Saxon Jr. Aerospace Museum mm -hmm. in Boron, California. Mm -hmm. And for those of you that don't know where Boron is, it's north of Edwards Air Force Base. Uh, about a good two-hour drive north out of Los Angeles. I have not been in the middle of nowhere. It truly is. It truly is. But you know, Boron, California, was a mine. The borax mines were out there. The 20, uh, 29 Mule Team Road and all that. Um, but you know, Waldo's put together a good museum of, of different things. I've, Richard, you've been there to the Saxon Museum. Um, 
What can you tell us about that? That's right. Uh, it's a pretty interesting museum. At the moment, it might be on the ropes. The last time I tried to go there, it was uh, temporarily closed. So we can ask them how, if it's going to be able to find the money to open back up. But it was really interesting. We got them on the line. Morning, Waldo. Hello. Hi. Hi, how are you doing? It's Alistair and uh, with Dave and Richard, uh, and you're now on Rocket Talk Radio. How are you doing today? <laughs> I'm doing good. I'm driving down Wilshire Boulevard. Okay. Checked out at the Hotel Normandy. Okay. You know, I'm uh, actually going to go to the, uh, the uh, car museum up here at the Peterson. So what can I do for you? What would you like to know? Okay, well, you know, we're talking, uh, you know, we're talking engines today, and uh, we know you've done a lot of stuff. We know you're a, you're, you're a rocket guy. What is, uh, what's your thing? Tell, tell us about you to start. Well, uh, right now, I'm working on a uh, rocket-powered car, and I'm, I'm working on a rocket program to take Mad Mike Hughes to space. Right. He's, uh, he, he's, uh, hold on just a second, uh, uh Ambulance is going by. Okay. Anyway, he's, he's, he's going to, I'm going to send him to space using a raccoon. And uh, raccoon was an idea developed in the late 40s uh, when our missiles weren't that powerful and they wanted to get higher altitudes on. They would launch them from a balloon and uh, take them up about 20, 26 miles, and then the balloon cuts free and the rocket fires. Uh, early early version, they fired right through the balloon. It's probably us made balloons. <laughs> and uh, then they'd climb up to, uh, to space. You know, they'd go up you know, 100 miles or better. And so this is kind of the same thing. I'm going to launch my guy a raccoon. Uh, he's going to basically hang from a rocket, and uh, and uh, we'll release him from the balloon and fire the rocket. So right now, we're trying to find funding for it. Mm. And uh, but I already have all the rocket components linked up and everything. So we're going to use a hydrogen peroxide powered rocket because it's a cold rocket. And uh, I looked into solids and liquids for this thing, but I don't want to take the chance that they won't bite. And with hydrogen peroxide, you know, you push the peroxide through a catalyst pack, it goes off and breaks down into water and oxygen at 1300 degrees, you get into the rocket power. Right. So yeah. that's the one thing. The other thing I'm using, if you remember the aircraft, the X-15. Yes, uh, that's right. It's a rocket-powered plane. I think it still holds the known airspeed record, but uh, there have been things gone faster, but that's none of our business. But uh, it was 4,519 miles an hour in 1967. I took the engine, one of those engines from that aircraft, I split it in half, and I'm using the injector to a modern carbon-carbon combustion chamber nozzle that it's been assembled to. And uh, and I'm going to fire it through that, and it'll still have the performance uh, of the X-15 engine. Originally, the X-15 engine ran on... uh, uh, anhydrous ammonia and liquid oxygen. I've changed the fuels to methanol and liquid oxygen. The performance goes down a little bit, but it lights better, stays lit and stuff. And so I'm building a 57-foot-long car. It's about 60, 65% done. Nice. And it, in theory, it can hit 2,000 miles an hour on the ground. Nice. That's nice. the idea. Okay. Well, just for, for those who... Um, <clears throat> for those who don't know who Madman Mike is and Waldo... Okay, so several months ago... Uh, Waldo is basically the rocket engineer or the rocket guy that built a uh, private rocket for this gentleman and launched him. Did they make it into orbit? Or no, they, just how, he achieved some altitude. Yeah. Okay. What was the altitude, uh, Waldo? It was uh, just eighteen hundred seventy-five feet, but it was a stunt. Yeah. Yeah, it was a stunt basically. We were gonna. Yeah, it was a stunt to generate interest for this this space 
cost about two million dollars in parts, right? And I need to spend another million dollars in uh, talent. I right. Need a couple of really good people to help me help me finish this off. But we have most of the parts. We track down the spacesuit. You know, he's basically essentially just going to hang in the breeze. He's not going to be in a capsule or anything. Mm, mm, okay. He's hang in the breeze, and we'll we'll launch him. In a, he'll be in a spacesuit. Awesome. So yeah, we launched them in order to generate. Uh, here's how the thing happened. Originally, we were going to launch a distance. I uh, tried to set a distance record. Now the the steam rocket record. Uh, there's been a couple of people have done this. Uh, Evil Knievel, of course, you remember that, right? Evil Knievel did uh-huh. the canyon right. jump. That's right. And succeed. After him, Matt Mike Hughes went the 1,374 feet at, in a rocket, their okay. distance. And then after that, uh, Eddie Braun went 4,400 feet. So we were trying to launch a mile at Amboy, California. Okay. But once we set the rocket up and it had a ramp that kind of went out at about a 45 degree angle, you know, mm-hmm. to get some distance, uh, the, uh, the federal government stepped in, the Bureau of Land Management. Okay. And they said, uh, no, we're not going to let you do that because you're going to surpass the area you're flying in and you're going to land about 400 feet onto our property. Uh, and I said, well, why is that a problem? They were just coming down with a parachute. Oh, no, you could hit a tortoise, and if you did that, we'd find you $50,000. Or you could damage the land. And I'm thinking, no, okay. Okay, <laughs> yeah. No wood scrub desert. Yeah, there's nothing there. There's nothing out there. Uh, so, maybe uh, there is. You just can't see it. Yeah. <laughs> Right, yeah. $25 an hour. Okay? Wow. Uh, God bless America, right? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah. so I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. So I had a friend there who knew a guy, and that uh, Mike knew this other guy, and they're putting together. We found an area about four miles from where we were going to jump with, uh, it was a, 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 a three quarter of a mile by a mile and a half rectangular area they owned in the desert. Mm-hmm. So we moved the rocket over there. And then, the, and once we got the rocket there and set up, then the government came in again and said, uh, you know, you guys are about 400 feet or 50 yards. That's what it was. 150 feet too close to our property. You're on our property. Wow. So you have to move 100 feet. Now, this thing takes three days yet to set up. Okay? Mm-hmm. You get the idea. Mm-hmm. So I felt like, you ever see the movie Office Space? You ever see that yeah, movie? yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, you ever see when I tell the one guy, he goes, you got to move your desk and then yeah. you move it downstairs. And while you're there, they go, okay. That's right. Right, right. So, well, what happened is we're going home, and Mike is like, What do we do? I said, Well, you got the sponsorship from the Flat Earth Society. Why don't you just tell them you're going to go up and take a look and see if the Earth is flat? <laughs> it was like a joke, you know. And so, so Mike tells the Flat Earth Society, the guys that had, had helped him raise some of the money to fish the rock, and they were like, Wow, that's a great idea, you know. That is. And then the big guy, the international acclaim. Wow. I think the last time we checked, there's over 4,000 videos that people made about Mike's jump. You know, yeah, there's yeah. always a yeah. black tired idiot. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You know, millions yeah. and millions of people looked into that. See? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we said, okay, so we re- refurbished the rocket and we tried to launch it. I uh, didn't have the right. We made some miscalculations on the uh, on the size of the orifice of the rocket nozzle, uh-huh. and luckily, you know, he went to hit the rocket and, uh, and he got in it, hit the fire, and it, uh, it would not fire. But it mm. was fired. As far as it was concerned, it was launched. Mm, okay. mm, so you got this pneumatic ramp pulling on this, this rod to pull it through this rocket nozzle. Once it does that, the rocket will launch, right? So, uh, you know, we, we almost lost them there. We got them out of the rocket. And then uh, we took the rocket back home and refurbished. This is a four-month wow. process. That is and so And we changed the nozzle to four inches. And that's crazy. And yeah. a fortune. It cost a fortune. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, we changed the nozzle, did some refurbishing work, and then uh, when we were ready to launch it, uh, Noise TV came to film it, and uh, uh, we all, there's also a documentary, and then we launched it straight up, and everything worked just fine. It was like, oh, in fact, supposedly, guys at JPL and in Houston, mm-hmm. NASA people, were watching it, taking bets on if Mike was going to die or not. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> that is so cool. <laughs> that's a little bit morbid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They were like, you know, I guess there, there were bets on if you're going to die when the shoots don't come out or you're going to die in the launch. The things oh are going to come out of the tower and go straight into the ground. And it was cool, you know. <laughs> Any bets on whether he would live? <laughs> but this guy, this guy told me that it was at Houston and that was kind of amazing to hear. And, right, then, yeah. uh, and you know, because they're like, oh, only, only NASA can do this. Well, that's one thing you just prove. Only NASA can't do that. Right, okay? right. The thing about it is we can, anybody can go to space in the future. It won't be NASA. Just want to interject, though, Waldo. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, and and what you've talked about uh, brings me to the question of, okay, so w- why? What's the purpose of uh, doing what you do, you and, and Madman Michael? W- why do you do what you do? I mean, yeah, for fun, sure, and yeah, maybe no, to no, test no, technology no. or whatever, but why? Yeah. Yeah, it starts <laughs> off when you're a kid for fun. I've been launching model rockets. I was about 11 years old, but it's not just that. Uh-huh. It's, uh, when you get older, you know, especially when you get in your 50s, I'm 63 now, you realize the most important thing you can do is inspire. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so you're not going to go to space unless I show you that it's possible. You see? Right. What, it's kind of like Ban- Bannister in the three-minute mile. You know who Roger Bannister was, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was the guy that said, that, is it, oh, nobody can beat a four-minute mile. You, know, you have to run a four-minute mile. It's, it's, it's impossible for a human being to do it. Okay? Right. Once Roger Bannister ran a three-minute mile, then everybody was running a three-minute mile. See, because reality is created. Mm-hmm. So you have to show people what they're capable of. And once they get the idea, <laughs> there's no stopping them. Look at right. computer technology today. Yeah. yeah. Right. Ten yeah. years ago, 20 years ago, I would have said, oh, they can't do this stuff. You mm-hmm. know, now I'm just, I'm, at my jaw hits the floor every time I go on the internet. Right, right. So that's that's what I'm doing with rocketry. I'm trying to show the average Joe. Mm-hmm. Hey, you want to go to space, man? Raise some money. Uh, build your thing. No, don't be afraid to get your hands dirty. Let's go to space. Nice. And it's that type of stuff, like airplanes. Okay. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, Professor Langley was developing the airplane with with money from the United States government. Could not get the things to fly. A couple of guys who built bicycles for a living. Boom, they're flying. Another farmer down in New Zealand. He's flying. Nice. You know, uh, Gustav Whitehead, who they claim was the first guy to invent the airplane in New York, he's just a, a working man, he's flying. So you go, okay, what happened? What was the shift? The shift was believing it could be done, see? Right. That's the deal. Right, gotcha. Any questions for him, Dave? No, not, not really. I think what Wallace said is right on the money. It is it is about inspiring and, and accepting the fact that you will fail, that that's you can't let those thoughts dissuade you mm-hmm. um many things do you know many people have tried to start a rocket company over the years and it, i think it was only when spacex finally broke through that yeah. the floodgates yeah. opened as mm-hmm. everyone had hoped yeah and absolutely we have to do one thing too and this is something people do not understand you can't go through life saying well we're going to do this once we get funded right you'll never do it because you're counting on other people to make it happen for you. You see what I mean? You understand? Yeah. You're yeah. going to go, we're going to do this. Give me a wrench. Get out of my way. Go 
right, right. that's how you'll go to space. And everybody will be able to go to space. In your lifetime, you're going to see hotels in space and all that stuff. It's all going to happen, but only if you believe it can happen. Right, right. If you don't, then we're see. And people like me, that's all we're trying to do is convince you, Matt, Mike, you know, just to just convince you that uh, this can be you done. Can do just, just, you know, Matt, Mike, once I showed him how to lay out a prototype, so Matt, Mike could build his own steam rockets. And, you know, Man might use a quarter of the power of that steam rocket to go 2,000 feet almost. And we were really going to you know, go straight up a mile and, and all this stuff. But then we realized we, there was a good chance we could, we could uh, fall out of the distance of the land that we were and, you know, entitled to because uh, these people own this land. And if we would have, they were ready to take us to jail in handcuffs. In fact, mm. there were two, uh, two BLM uh, 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 wagons there waiting to haul the away in handcuffs. And as it was, when you watched the launch, I don't know if you saw the launch on YouTube, mm-hmm. the rocket comes down on one parachute. It was designed to throw both parachutes out. Okay? This creates an equilibrium. The rocket doesn't sway as much and, and, uh, and slows Mike down quite a bit. Well, Mike waited on the throwing the second parachute until it was 185 feet from the ground, which was bad because it ended up breaking his back in two places, wow. too hard, too fast. But he did that because from his point of view, he was um, uh, about to land on government land. As it was enjoying the shoot's weight, we uh, ended up being 400 feet short of all going to jail. Wow. So uh, that was the problem. So he said the government wanted to help you out. They're there trying to hinder you. Right, right, got you, got you. That's, that's pointless. That's pointless. <laughs> so, uh, uh, so I'm gonna ask a question though about Mad Mike and these flat earthers. How, uh, how much do you think they really believe that the Earth is flat, or is this a PR thing? Uh, I mean, do they really believe that the Earth is flat, or is that just a PR thing? The flat Earth Society. I believe a lot of the Flat Earth Society really do believe the Earth is flat. Wow. Like now, because of the weirdest thing about the Flat Earth thing is this, okay? When you first hear about it, you laugh, okay? Mm-hmm. But then the more research you do into it, you go, well, it's possible, you know what I mean? <laughs> you start mm-hmm. doing that. Okay. I mean, that's aside from all of the science that proves that the Earth is round. I was just wondering, maybe the rocket had a window and he, you know, it's like he just needed to see it for himself that the Earth is round. But okay, I, I get that. At 1,800 feet, not convincing enough. Well, maybe that's one of the of the uh, commercial space flight program, or, or rather space tourism, is that, you know, all the flat earthers can go up and Hang have on. their suspicions uh, remedied. There you go, right? Um, there's a, there's, is it Space Adventures? I'm not sure. They... Space Adventures, I believe, is the one that Dennis Tito flew on, and that gives you a ride on the Soyuz for an ever-increasing um, you know, Virgin, you know, Virgin's get trying to get into that market. Blue yep, yep. Is, might offer mm-hmm. services soon. So there'll be, there's a, there's at least three names there. What's the, uh, the company that's actually going to have the hotel in space? Bigelow. Uh, is that Bigelow? That's Bigelow. Okay. Okay. So cool. It, it, that's a little bit of a misnomer. It's just space stations. If yeah. Yeah. Want, yeah. Make it a hotel. Well, I mean, yeah, obviously. I mean, there'll be space stations that regular people, I guess, if right. you can, well, if big- you can afford Bigelow, Bigelow embraced the inflatable module. Yeah, that was actually cool. a, the inflatable module on orbit was mm-hmm. intended for the space station. I believe they've actually they've flown and deployed a, a mm-hmm. an inflatable module. But I mm-hmm. think that's the that's the key technology that Bigelow was trying to. Yeah, I think he's got two prototypes on orbit. Yeah, he does. Uh, yeah. They tested it. I think but they're they're unmanned. Uh, but say, uh, I've got a question yeah, for Waldo about. Um, uh, his his uh, XLR R ninety nine on that car. Uh, 
you, I, I heard you mention you're going to replace it. Um, the, the regenerative cooling section with a carbon carbon, uh, nozzle. I mean, uh, do you, who do you plan to actually make it out of carbon carbon? Yeah, see, originally the XLR-99 built by Thiokol, which became more Thiokol, you know, who built the shuttle's uh, main solid rocket engines. But they were pioneers in liquid uh, propellant. At that time, this is a regeneratively cooled rocket used on the X-15. So essentially, it passes ammonia through a series of tubes along, through a series of tubes along the combustion chamber, through the nozzle and back into the injector, and then it's uh, injected into the engine and lit with oxygen. The problem with that is the, the engine is made of a material called Inconel X, which now you would call Hastoy X. Okay? Inconel was kind of like calling tissues Kleenexes. Okay? It was a brand name. Okay? But now it's, the material is known as Hastoy. It's, it's a high nickel, a high temperature material. The problem with it is, yeah, it's strong. It's doesn't great for heat, but it's expensive and uh, has a lot of problems with it when you use it in a rocket engine. But the injector is made of it. But I didn't like the fact that, that 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 the combustion chamber nozzle was made of these tubes. Also, it was designed to generate maximum thrust at the edge of space, three hundred thirty thousand feet. See, not not on the deck. So it would make you know, on the deck it make like fifty seven thousand pounds of, of thrust, and then accelerating the rocket up to the edge of space over three hundred thirty thousand feet, it would make sixty one thousand pounds of thrust. So the problem with that was that, that it was basically designed for an airplane climbing at altitude and velocity. I'm just uh, looking for a vehicle uh, that, that's achieving velocity on a flat level plane. Okay? And I'm looking at Solar de Union, Bolivia, which is at 14,000 feet. So I decided to do was cut the, uh, uh, the uh, combustion chamber nozzle off. I have a half soloid flange made that would bolt to another flange I had welded to the engine and then bolt it out of the combustion or excuse me, the injector and bolt this new rocket engine to the injector. So the injector basically is like a carburetor and an intake manifold and the, the uh, combustion chamber nozzles are kind of like a, uh, the pistons in an automobile. Mm -hmm. So what happens is once you make this carbon carbon piece, there's some good guys that, that do this. One of these guys, uh, uh, that's a good friend of mine uh, for a long time, but rolled these up for me. And then they're, met, they're made into a Hasselhoff flange and then bolt to the engine. The idea is you get the maximum size combustion chamber nozzle and the best performance for the altitude that you're running the cover at. See what I mean? So if I run it at Bonneville, which is 4,100 feet above sea level, I'll have the right size combustion chamber nozzle to get maximum performance there. And if I run it at 14,000 feet at Salarda Yuyuni in Bolivia, then I'll have a different one that'll bolt on there. See what I mean? Right, right. So you get maximum performance out of the engine. You don't have to hope it's going to reach good performance when you get it going. So there's no guessing. That's how the car is built. Does that answer your question? Uh, a bit. When, when I worked uh, at Firefly, uh, I, I worked on uh, the nozzle extension a little bit, and carbon carbon is one of the things we looked at. Um, it was really expensive. It was like, um, it, it was going to cost us a couple million and probably like a million per vehicle. Um, now we are getting, uh, looking at an aerospace uh, contracting company to build that for us. Um, now, if you mean like carbon, carbon, uh, the same stuff I'm talking about, there aren't that many people who can build a nozzle like that. But if you're talking maybe more like a, like a, a carbon, um,
so uh, if you, if, and I don't want to care about her, talk about her, but I'm talking about Virgin Galactic to everybody. Okay? Okay. Now, the good thing about the carbon carbon thing is in a land speed car, you're not running for eight minutes like you would a rocket engine going to orbit. Okay? You're just running for 20 seconds max. So the engine's really just starting to flake on the inside when you're shutting it off. So that, that's why it's good to use for land speed. You don't want to use solids for land speed. Because as they eat the inside of the solid way, chunks go through the nozzle and the thrust is asymmetrical. So it could throw the car up, down, right, left, you know, whatever, and you have to fight that. So solids are a bad idea. And we had this bloodhound mm-hmm. car with the, uh, the hydrogen peroxide that fed through a solid. That's just dumb. Okay? And the reason why it's dumb is because hydrogen peroxide, the components of running it through a catalyst pack are water and oxygen at 1,320 degrees Fahrenheit, okay? So what you're doing is you're trying to keep a solid core lit after that while you're spraying it with water. Go figure that out, okay? So it's hard to keep one of those running good and, and performing well. And then when chunks go through the nozzle, the car will go anywhere. That's why they went uh, the Bloodhound Project from one big uh, 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 rocket engine uh, to three smaller ones. Because then you have two that are also doing something else while the other one is acting up. You see what I mean? That's, that was smart. That was a smarter move on their point, going to the horns, scaling the rockets down. Nice but carbon-carbon is really good. Especially if you've got like a four- or five-stage rocket, okay, so you got something like that. Uh, it, it'll burn long enough to... Uh, I, uh, one of the nozzles that I've had on my vehicle right now, it was tested for four minutes without chunking and throwing pieces out. So I'm, I'm really confident that's going to work well. Cool, cool. that answers your question. Nice, nice. Uh, all right, Waldo. Well, hey, thanks so much for joining us today. Um, we got right. some other things we got to cover. At you know, maybe we can uh, have you back again sometime if you're okay with that. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. We we I definitely you know you are a a plethora of knowledge and information, you know, and I definitely want some more of that. Okay, so um, <clears throat> so uh, yeah, we'll catch up. Thanks for joining us. Uh, and we'll talk soon. Thanks, Waldo. You're, you're welcome. Take care. Have a wonderful day. Cool. That was Waldo, guys. You heard it from him. Waldo okay? Stakes, the curator, Waldo Stakes. Of, yeah, curator of the Saxon Aerospace Museum in Boron, California. Yeah, that's that, that's that real, you know, get your hands dirty, gritty engine guy, you know. That's uh, These guys that are flanking me right now same you know they build their stuff too um that's what's so, great about los angeles yeah. is that this is this that's not necessarily the birthplace of yeah. rocketry yeah. but uh there there's a ton of people that have got experience yeah. from different from all different companies yeah. and and sometimes even their own private ventures that's mm-hmm. what's what i find the most exciting about living out here yeah yeah and you know we have all this open space you have the mojave you've got places where you can do a lot of um you know a lot of fun stuff true you know? true but you know the waldo really hit on a good subject about how you know sometimes the the space becomes a problem you know right the right government yeah, is the government's more receptive mm-hmm. to uh people doing space but right, uh right. They, they you still run into barriers right right of course right yeah. but well, you also gotta remember this guy said he thought the earth was flat so uh <laughs> they well, probably thought he might be a menace and maybe he doesn't know what he's doing <laughs> right so, right I just telling people the earth is flat. Right, right. So they, they you know. Hey, my thing is more resistance than usual. I don't think Waldo said that he believed it was flat. <laughs> I, I think it was a yeah, 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 yeah. True, Mad Mike. Yeah, let's um, be more specific. My, my thing is, um, you know, it, maybe that's a cool thing. 
gives more people reasons to build personal launch vehicles. And uh, it's a definite reason for, uh, for I, us to get some hotels up there. Right? I, I <laughs> think there could be some so. stronger <laughs> reasons, reasons for going, but yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. whatever, you know, whatever it takes to get yeah. people engaged, yeah. if it yeah, be totally. the flat earth or just somebody really wants to, to see the, see the world from a higher perspective. I think the, they they have the 50th anniversary of the Apollo 8 flight, and I mm -hmm. think that that really, I, you know, as as bad as the country, as many bad things as the country was going through in yeah, 1968, yeah. the yeah. loss of Martin Luther King, Bobby yeah. Kennedy yeah. killed in that same day, you know, the wow. Vietnam War raging, yeah. you know, the yeah. arguably probably one of the <clears throat> worst times in American history, and to cap off the the year, mm -hmm. uh, the Apollo program finally uh, sent men outside of Earth's orbit. And I don't, I don't, even today, uh, that accomplishment still shines. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, we've accomplished many things in, in the 50 years and, and one can be critical of the space shuttle and, and has NASA really lived up to their legacy. But looking back, you know, it, it's, uh, I think with seeing the world from a higher perspective, that, that legendary photo of seeing the earth mm -hmm. emerge from the lunar yeah. surface as, yeah. as they passed, uh, back into, uh, you know, passed around the backside of the moon. <clears throat> It's, it's still yeah. inspiring. And, yeah. and even though it's been 50 years, I think we're, we're still pointed in the right direction. And we can only hope we can, we can accomplish well, even a fraction of what was done 50 years back. Right. Well, I'm glad um, we, you know, things are going the way they're going. It seems like uh, we've entered, uh, you know, some a new inspiration, uh, trying to get back to the moon, trying to go beyond the moon. Uh, so whatever sparked that, I, I, I want to give some credit to the SpaceX and the Mars societies and the planetary <laughs> societies and, you know, and the Anusha and Saris and all of those people that, uh, that sort of, you know, rekindled that, that desire for space and, uh, not just going, uh, to the moon, but, uh, beyond the moon and further. So, um, okay. So we're going to get and wrap it up now. Uh, but we do want to <clears throat> look ahead, you know, it's 2019, Happy New Year, everyone. We're about five days late, but, you know, this is the first day of the show, so it counts. Um, what's going on in 2019? My pundits. Well, 2019, I think, think Richard hit it on the head. The, the, if the SpaceX Dragon capsule makes it to the space station, that'll be a big step forward long in the waiting. Um, you know, Boeing's got uh, their CST-100 capsule. Mm -hmm. I'm going to take a ride on an Atlas V, right. uh, probably April, maybe May. Mm -hmm. I I think that's the biggest thing to look forward to in 2019. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Anything else, Rich? Uh, what, what, what jumps out? What seems to be uh, glaring for 2019? Uh, I, I know that um, SpaceX is supposed to be wanting to launch that mock-up of their, space, their Starship or whatever. Right. That it, right. Uh -huh. right. Yeah. Uh, it, I, I don't know how that's going to go. It doesn't look that sturdy to me. <laughs> right, right. Well, no, it is a prototype. And if you look back to when uh, SpaceX was doing the hopper, the, the grasshopper flights out in Texas, it was leading up into them landing, uh, you know, la landing the boosters that would follow a few years later. So I just assume this was following that, that mold that they, they want to, yeah. they want to put a few things together and if it, if they'll learn something. And if it breaks, it breaks. If it if they get more out of it, they get more out of it. It's uh, the, you know the Raptor engine needs to needs to fly. They haven't they haven't flown that yet. They've mm -hmm. certainly tested it. And I just assume that they're 
continually in iterations as, as I don't know if Raptor's been certified yet, but if it's, if they're going to marry it to that little hopper vehicle, they're going to, I think SpaceX is just going back to their roots. Uh, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll see how it goes. Okay, cool, cool. Um, so I know they're doing a launch on, is it Monday or Tuesday? I think, yeah, SpaceX is jumping out of, uh, Vandenberg. Yeah, I believe on, so. I think it's either Monday or Tuesday. I so, think that's uh, right. Yeah, yeah. hit up their site and uh, check Space, out that, that launch. Another another good site uh, that I like to look at is spaceflightinsider.com. Okay. I, I, I like, they do a good job of covering all sorts of space-related things. Um, mm -hmm. they, they also have a very refreshing and unbiased take on a, on a lot of things. Mm -hmm. um, spaceflightnow.com mm -hmm. mm -hmm. is also one that's very popular. They probably have the most accurate information on uh, when it comes to launches out of the Cape Vandenberg and across the across the world or at least as good of information as one can get mm -hmm. as the Chinese aren't always forthcoming about announcing their launches right right gotcha okay um, you can also check out the RRS uh, at rrs.org okay. right that's true you oh. can follow the you can follow what the reaction research society here uh, we're a local organization, mm -hmm. uh, educational nonprofit that's yes. been around for 75 years and counting. Mm -hmm. I believe we're doing a uh, symposium. That's right. The, the RRS is having another symposium in 2019 mm -hmm. in Gardena at the Ken Nakaoka Community Center. Mm -hmm. um, you can find information on rrs.org. Is that April 27th, I believe? April 27th. Wonderful. That is a Saturday. It's an all-day event. Um, so please, the, those who are interested in the local area or even from parts far away come on in and, and see what we've got we'll yeah. have uh, speakers from government yeah. academia and yeah. from the universities yeah. and, for, and from it and we do get some industry participation we had uh, Northrop Grumman give a talk we had uh, NASA Goddard from the sounding rocket program call in on Skype yeah. uh, we, we had a great we had a great program last year yeah, when we celebrated our 75th fun. anniversary yeah. and uh, we hope to continue that and grow and grow even more nice nice then we have private rocket companies and stuff that they are rocket companies but they haven't actually gotten off the ground yet um right. i mean what's the you know what's the survivability of a, of a company like that uh, uh pretty low <laughs> yeah i mean there is the survival rate just of any company even if you just open you know a pizza joint mm -hmm. the survival rate isn't great right. you know? and and so in space, when you've got a difficult uh, mission you're trying to accomplish and you need a lot of capital, mm -hmm. you know, it's just really hard. And, but, but some companies manage, you know, to last a long time, even if they're not necessarily getting a ton of money or hitting a ton of milestones. I, I know um, Orville has been around for more than 20 years now. Mm -hmm. um, they've done some stuff, uh, but they've never really uh, hooked investors, you know, um, I know of, of um, a couple companies uh, that are, are pretty new. Maybe we can, uh, I know some of the guys, maybe we can bring them in as guests. In the cool, yeah, cool. We should also mention Rocket Lab. Uh, Rocket Lab. I think that, yeah, we when we were talking about the highlights of 2018, I think that mm -hmm. we'd be remiss not to bring up the fact that, uh, that a space startup out of New Zealand, Right. Peter Thiel yeah, was Peter the Thiel. was the investment yes. muscle behind Rocket Lab, and and really they should be lauded for uh, accomplishing something that few he, he, he companies up, have. Uh, they're even though they've got a small launcher and they're right. and on foreign soil, they uh, they've succeeded uh, twice, I right. believe, and they, and they're they're in business. And I know Vector 
space systems uh, in Huntington Beach wants to aspire to the same thing. They're getting cool. ready for a, their first launch out of Alaska and sometime, mm. sometime in the coming weeks or so. Maybe you ought to check it out. Zero to One by Peter Thiel, since we talked about it. Just so you know, you can also visit uh, historyfuturespace.com. I'm probably going to be posting the podcast on, on that website. Also, on historyfuturespace.com, you can help us out. Buy a mug. This mug has rockets on it. This is Dave's mug, but, uh, you know, yeah. show it off, and he loves it. <laughs> I don't know if you can see all those uh, launch vehicles on there. We oh. got from the Soyuz all the way up to, I don't know, um, the, Delta the Apollo. Or, the, yeah. yeah, the Saturn V, the N1, yeah all, the, yeah, all the big ones. We got some really cool stuff here, you know. We got astronauts. Merch. Yep. On aliens. On aliens. Of uh, we've got another, yeah, more rockets. If you're into rockets, we got the Falcon Heavy all the way up to the Saturn V. So yeah, yeah. go to historyfuturespace.com. We got some uh, some other things here. You yeah. know, some posters from NASA. You know, they want you to work for them at some. Point. We need you. That's what we got here, and they also need farmers. So when we go to Mars, we're gonna need some farmers. <laughs> you're also gonna get this cup too before you go out to Mars. You can drink your coffee out of this cup while farming on Mars. Yeah, you can thank Andy Weir for that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, the, 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 the Mars, Mars astronauts. So yeah, uh, hit up uh, historyfuturespace.com and uh, please help us out. Buy yourself a mug, buy yourself a t-shirt, buy yourself a hat. Please support us and we'll see you next time. Dave Nordling, Richard Garcia, y'all have a wonderful day and have a wonderful year. Thank you. <laughs>